Tell the people who you are. Oh, <laughs> I'm Boris Mozovsky. I'm a DP. Last time I saw you mm-hmm. was like two years ago or three years ago now when you were finishing up Kidnap Capital. And since then, you've just become a ghost. <laughs> like, you've just been working like crazy. Tell me, like, give me the last few years of your life. Start from Kidnap Capital. Because you produced that too. Yeah, yeah. Kidnap Capital was a, one of those experiments. Well, experiments. It's a movie that we really wanted to make, Felipe Rodriguez and I. And we decided to produce it on a small budget and basically cash in all the favors we've ever had. <laughs> because we didn't have a lot of money. The plan at the beginning was, I don't even know if I, like I thought I'd produce the movie, Felipe would, would direct the movie and maybe somebody else would shoot the movie. But that disappeared very quickly because we didn't have money. So <laughs> we just did everything. And it took forever to put together because of the script, how to how to actually execute this crazy movie that takes place in one room 65% of the time. We, then we went to Phoenix for the rest of it to shoot the exteriors and the real house and whatever. But we had to give it all the time we could because it was more complicated to plan and organize than a normal movie because we just didn't have money for everything, but we had gear. We had access to a lot of things, and people helped us out, but we just didn't have enough cash to overcome, so we had to plan it meticulously. But after that, I guess because we we did all of that just for the pure love of making the movie, a lot of things opened up right away. Luckily for both of us, Felipe got directing opportunities, etc. And the day after we finished the movie, I started Bitten. And then since Bitten, I haven't stopped working, and somehow I'm still married. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's what I wonder, too, because you have kids. Yeah. And it's just like you disappeared down this rabbit's hole of, like, feature films and TV shows. And most recently, uh, 12 Monkeys. My life at the moment is 12 Monkeys, and we're finishing it. It's a very poetic sci-fi series, and that's what I really like about it. So that's what kind of drives me when I think about what it should be it's a brilliant thing because we get to make a, like a new movie every time we travel in time which we do for every episode you know dave green who him and i shoot 12 monkeys but basically the whole series is a is a long poem you know in our time travel we apply different looks to every era we go to and that allows us to create so many different looks for example in season three we were in uh, in the early 1900s we also traveled to, you know, the time of uh, the Berlin Wall. We're just making different looks for every episode is super exciting, but it's all rooted in the story. So you don't have to come up with something that's outside of the story, which I really appreciate, as most of us do. I like to take the clues from what the characters are doing and, and the story itself. Because Twelve Monkeys is written like a long poem, and these people who are trying to reinstate regular time in our lives and beat the plague that killed all the population. We also get to spend some time in our regular environments, which is our our studio and our time machine room, which is very spectacular. We're always grounded with our look when we go back there because that's that look that David Green established at the beginning of a series. And we were just kind of slightly refining it all the time, but that's our base. And then after that, we explode into all of these different looks, different eras, different ways of presenting the world, different ways of characters behaving, etc., which is super exciting. So if we had 10 seasons of 12 Monkeys, I don't think we would ever get bored because you could just do all kinds of crazy things, you know. 
we did an episode where we started dutching all the time, and I hate dutching, but it made sense. You know, we did it. <laughs> that sounds incredibly liberating, the fact that the show probably wouldn't feel stagnant if you went for more seasons. What are some key elements that help you create these looks? The most driving force behind creating these looks is the need to vary looks because, you know, we need them to recognize that we jumped through time. That's always the biggest part of the story. And now in this new environment that's new for us as an audience, because we're now seeing, I don't know, the Berlin Wall as it was just starting to be built. For us as an audience, we need to recognize that's a different time. But also our characters are in the same predicament because they've never been there. They just jump through time into this new environment. So while they're finding their way through, we're finding our visual way through. Everything is, comes together because it is all one. It's very thematic. The look and the, the way the characters are behaving in these new eras, it all go together by necessity, but that's what makes it cool. We like to establish looks with our on-set colors, Josh, who helps us sometimes. I'll describe something and go, I think it's this. I think we need some green. But you know what? Two, three looks and let's see what happens. <laughs> so he'll take it and go, okay, well, I'm going to do this. And then I know what you don't like or you do like. And then he'll create something and I'll sometimes pick because doing these different eras is super exciting. Sometimes it's like, oh my God, what do we do now? This is the 34th time. <laughs> we're, we're trying to figure out a, a new look and, and why it looks a certain way. And also we come into... Like some funny predicaments like, okay, this is great. We put some green in the mids and we affected the highlights like this and it's all a warm wash and we're super excited. And then we look at it and go, well, no, didn't we do that for the 60s uh, three episodes ago? Oh my God, reinvent the 80s. And that part of figuring out what an era looks like, I always struggle with that in movies because every era there are changes through time that are obvious, like furniture look different or cars look different. But what is that wash? What is the overall look of the seven? It's our perception of that through the movies, newspapers, magazines, etc., from the 70s and how we view them now, especially in these modern times, how we view 70s or 60s is highly influenced by what we've seen through our lives of that era. Not necessarily what it really looked like because right. there was no particular wash. Seventies didn't look warm. And they warm. weren't brown. They were not brown. No, no. <laughs> the sun was the same color. All looks should be about a feeling and getting people in a certain mood or getting to react to an era, a visual characters within it, the mise-en-scene in a certain way. You have to take certain liberties and apply your own feeling of an era in order for an audience to feel a similar way. Right. But for 12 Monkeys, I've gone beyond thinking about it. Like, we did it all. <laughs> I, I want to do something that happens in in the current 2017 <laughs> just to kind of change it up a little. <laughs> it's an awesome luxury to have. It's like, I've done every decade. Mm -hmm. Now I want to do something modern. I want to go back to talking about the DMT. I know I have some inside information <laughs> that you've used this young man for quite some time. Handsome young man. How important is the DMT cinematographer relationship nowadays? The DIT, I call them on-set colors because that's, that's what they do. I, there's a DMT who processes the footage, that does the, the, the loading of the data, etc. Then the DIT who does more than that because the DIT affects the colors. I always work with people 
who are on set colors because in this era of television they play a huge role because we don't have time for anything the way we do television now is super fast but it's supposed to be as good looking as a movie that has a lot more time to do right. it and we greatly struggle for that the dit position or the onset colors becomes crucial to me because i will base the look on that later and we will tweak what that person did in the color correct that i might not get to do i might not be present there i may have to remotely do it or give notes i like to get it as close as i can and so that colors and the final color doesn't have to change much or i want that look that we've already applied if it was just clean and without that we would suffer to get there later because there's, there's no time or time is not allowed the cinematographers in television is pushed away at the very beginning of the creation of, a, of an episode and at the very end and i'll explain because of the limited time you know episodes that are done 10 days or 8 days or 11 days or whatever on, on most television there's also limited prep of a week or five days or three days because the cinematographer sometimes does two episodes in a row because of circumstances, scheduling and necessities. And two DPs who are alternating, one will do two or three shows in a row and then the other one will do three shows in a row. They would take from each other and, and finish the respective episode. It can be very chaotic and not enough time is allocated to do everything properly. And we figure it out, obviously. But we're out of the prep process a little bit. And that used to be such an important thing on, on prepping a movie right. where you sit with a director, the designer, and everybody, and, and everything is kind of figured out. And then we just execute the movie. Obviously, things change. But you execute something that you're really, really understanding and, and everybody's on the same page. Well, in television, I find that there's a percentage of people on the creative part who know what's coming, and usually that's the designer and the producers, and then you insert your guest director, try to bring them up to speed, and the DP who's there but couldn't attend all the meetings because he or she had two pieces of episode one, 13, and two, yeah. you know. And it's not always like that, but most of the time the DP is now kind of behind the designer in that uh, prep process where the designer has to be ahead because that's a machine that has to go. And that that's one part that I, I'm not even sure how, how to fix because I, I keep trying to fix that for myself when I shoot. I want to be up to date. I want to be ahead of people. And prep is hugely important, especially because we work with great speed. We got to go all the time. And then at the end, after it's all shot, would go and, and call it a movie and things that are super important to finish a piece of art that we were creating from the beginning. But again, because of scheduling, if I'm alternating, like I'm doing episode two, four, five, and nine and 10 or whatever, and then he's doing the rest of them and our, our post schedule is presented and we just have to make it and somehow give notes quick enough to complete all that. We don't get to be in the room and, and do uh, the color directly with the colorist, but that's why the job of the onset colorist or DIT is crucial because he or she becomes the person who keeps the consistency of what we do. Without them, I would never get to catch up to all the things that need to be done as far as the look is concerned. In many, many ways, they basically are an extension of a DP as far as the taking maybe one third of that post process, or, or maybe even half, is in applying it, ahead of, uh, finishing ahead of time for me. That's an insane responsibility. Uh, like I actually didn't know that Josh had that much responsibility. I thought that he was just like on the internet all the time <laughs> and just sort so, of like you know <laughs> posting pictures of his kid and. and 
Well, Josh is on the internet, Postman. No. Well, no, Josh, for example, I love working with Josh. Can I say that Josh is my favorite? Are you going to listen to this, Josh? You know, the responsibility is huge because of all the elements that need to fall into place and this look needs to be carried. And everybody also, like the studio, the network, they need to see what we're doing and based on the look we created, they will be on board or not. All the adjustments sometimes need to be made. And if somebody says that things are too dark, there's not enough color or not warm enough, those are the notes I get all the time. So I went in order. And, you know, that's the person who uh, who kind of carries the look through so we don't have to worry about it until post-production. And then, and then in post-production, they stick to their look. So they have to be good. They have to be good. Otherwise, you know, we, we couldn't do that. Well, well, shout out Josh then. <laughs> I'm probably going to edit out all the good things that we're saying about Josh. But. Yeah, no, we should, we should never. <laughs> uh, but I want to talk about there does seem to be this trend of two DPs tackling a show mm-hmm. now. And you did touch up on it. And I know that the person that you're co DPing this series is David Green, mm-hmm. who's also a CSC member and a fabulous DP. How do you find this sort of sharing a credit? Because of the, the nature of television and how we basically making mini movies every week having prep is is crucial and i'm not even sure how people did uh, a series of before like even 20 episodes or whatever like so that's kind of unthinkable now like straight like one season and they would basically never have time to prep an episode that means that everybody else would prep the dp would show up and say no we can't shoot that way because the backlight is there you know and like probably change things on everybody you know i i make jokes when i don't have time to prep something because i just saw pictures and i show up and i go oh no 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 we can't we can't even look that way and i see and everything is dressed the wrong well not the wrong way but the way we can't shoot because the light's not right or whatever you look at that and think how would you do a 20-hour movie without prep or a 10-hour movie without prep it would be absolutely undoable yet it has been done. And I think the demands of modern television on a look that's really unique and, and great put pressure on, on people to and producers as well to recognize that the DP has to prep just as much as the director has to prep or the designer, etc. Like we do in the, in the regular film process. The trick is how do you find two DPs that can alternate, even mix some scenes from different episodes and make it look the same. I was lucky to be invited by David Green to join him on this 12 Monkeys journey because he did the first season you know it was very difficult for for him to do everything on his own and and not not be able to prep so we started alternating we we were constantly talking about how can I do the same thing that he does I mean we can directors photography we can figure out to create different looks etc but still needs to be the same movie and luckily like I learned so much from Dave before he's my favorite cinematographer in the world. And that's not just me. When I started working with him, he was always my, he even mentored me a long time ago. He established a look that's not very easy to follow. (laughs) Not at all. So in season two, when I was doing the first episode, my episode was up first and I was never more scared in my life. I demanded that he was there first day with me and he was laughing. He did show up. I was like, just, just stand there by the monitor for five minutes just so I feel like I know what I'm doing and you can jump in and help. Because it was terrifying for me to not do the same kind of look that he did before because why would it not look the same all of a sudden? I view 
the whole series or every one continuous movie. You know, the same characters go through the same journey. But in general, that's very tricky to find people who think alike and do the same thing and be willing to do the same thing. Because sometimes there are examples where that's not the case. And it's actually interesting that the episodes look completely different. To me, it's interesting. It's probably not good, but it's interesting. It's kind of fun. But I think that's where it's going. I think that is the future. Like, you know, we have guest directors all the time. They jump into a series. They spend two weeks or whatever with us, and they create a mini one-hour movie, and then they go away. So alternating DPs is something that I think we should definitely push for because it allows a DP to be a DP, to go through his or her process the way it's kind of meant to be prep with the director and the rest of the, the crew and and then execute because when that's taken away at least for me it's a complete disaster I cannot go blind into the filmmaking process we don't have time to correct any mistakes or to do things two ways we can only do it one way and do it fast <laughs> so by doing it this one way you're catering to the show but when these directors come in and want to put their own flair. How is that relationship with the showrunner? They're hiring the directors as mm -hmm. well. Well, it's a tricky thing. I think about that a lot. One constant, you know, that those two DPs who shoot, or one in some cases, you know, the, the entire series. And there is a look to a series that has to be consistent. And you insert various directors into that mix. And obviously, people have different sensibilities. And you bring these people because of their sensibilities, because of their skill, because of what they bring. That's why they were hired by the showrunner. Now, the showrunner and the DP, I think that's a very, very crucial relationship on a TV series because it's all kinds of ideas that are coming up. Things that will shape the series are decided by the showrunner who can effectively use the DP to execute that and keep it in the, the realm that the show intends to be. How do you insert various people into that mix and keep that same look if they, for example, want to do something radical? Because of the nature of television, a lot of directors will come with that notion of, no, no, I don't want to rock the boat. I'm a guest director, and I just want to do what you guys do because I like your look. Whenever that sentence is, is said, and it's kind of said 98% wow. of the time... I just say, no, 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 but you gotta, you're an observer. You jump into our world. You see our world better than we do. We're looking at it from the inside. We're not as aware as an outside of our environment. That's for sure. You know, the perception is completely different. Like, yeah, but what do you think? Is there a new angle in this time machine room that we shoot? And we've shot, I think, every angle. But is there a new angle? And oftentimes we kind of look for those new angles after I say that because it's kind of fun. And without encouraging allowing and asking for something new, the visual style would be a little boring. We were lucky on Monkeys because we do different eras, so we do different looks. In our studio, when the directors come, we do some stuff that we've never seen because they see things differently than we do because they just came in for the first time into the studio and go, I think we should shoot this from underneath the chair, something <laughs> that we never thought of. At the same time, the DP, and that's the tricky part. Now, the DP has this responsibility to keep the the look consistent, kind of take a little bit of a variance, but also a responsibility to the producers and the showrunner of not doing something that they wouldn't want to do. How much can you change? How much does the showrunner want to change the look? There's not enough 
time to talk about all of these aspects ahead of time. So you kind of have to know. You have to know your showrunner. You have to know your producers. And you have to know that, yeah, we can go underneath the chair and flip upside down, and but, but they will not pay for that, that we can't afford that. As a DP on a series, I think you have so many responsibilities that have to do with the budget, the time. You're also responsible of, like, you know, some directors work faster than others, but you still have the same amount of days. So you have to push those directors to finish in some way that makes them still feel comfortable. And then you have to keep the look consistent, but change it enough so they feel like they've contributed visually to the show, which everybody does because they have a different set of eyes. And you have a responsibility to execute what we've set to do maybe at the beginning of the season. And not everybody is in on that because you, you can't explain all the theories, aims, etc. that we're trying to do. And you kind of have to be the person who anchors all of that, but allow for other people's input because as they get on board and just kind of execute their 10 days of directing it's a very 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 tricky thing to do sometimes because you don't also want to be don't want to be restrictive but you have to be sometimes it's like somebody will ask for a lens that's like an eight mil and we say we don't do that we don't <laughs> do that on this show and then you're like we don't do that hmm why don't we do that maybe that's the coolest thing ever maybe it's horrible but you have to kind of make that decision. Is it horrible or not? And then present it to that director and say, we don't do that because this, this, and this. And then most of the time they'll accept it. But if they don't, maybe you try something new or you decide that this particular episode should feel a little different. So you push for that. And hopefully you're right. Because when you watch them all, if it sticks out in a bad way, then we made a mistake. Right. You know, It's a super tricky thing. It's, it sounds like you're equal part political animal slash equal part creative. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You have to be fiscally responsible and creative at the same time. The political part is something I really don't like because I, I like to be very straight up and this is what I think. And There is no hidden agendas. Yet you have agendas because at the first meeting, at the beginning of the season, these are agendas. They're not hidden, but we have to follow these. And you try to make sure that all the masters are satisfied and all of that. But when you make a movie, that's different because it gets dealt with at the very beginning. And then you deal with, oh, we can't afford the techno crane on this day already, so we got get a different crane or whatever it is. But on television, there's constantly, as soon as you finish one episode, you have to figure out how many techno dates you'll have. Can we do this? Can we replace the roof? Can we relight the whole room that we've been in 200 times? It's constant. Why does the prep now happen in between episodes is it because our episodes being rewritten or why is the prep gone away from the beginning ideally you have all the episodes written but you never can do you prep an episode as soon as you finish one so you now have like if i finish an episode my next 10 days is the prep of the next episode with the director who just arrived so you can't really prep ahead of time that much because the director is not there um, so the director hasn't been hired until... Well, they're not there yet. They, they might be hired, but they start on the 22nd for two weeks. And then prep with them. We, as a company, have prepped a little bit, but we don't know if this director will want to use this particular location that we think they should use. <laughs> so you have to allow for people's creativity as they come, but at the same time, you also have to make sure that you get your show done. A lot of directors who come in 90 
95% of them are very experienced and they know the game. They know that this is how it works because they've been there. Most people don't rock the boat, but sometimes when they do rock the boat, the coolest stuff happens. Like right. they go, nope, we're not going to do that. We're not, this location, we're going to take, you know, instead of a room, we'll be in a quarry. And you go, what? We can't do that. That's not our, and then you stop and go, that's cool. Why don't we have the people, like, well, whatever, you know, I just, just giving examples, but making it cool and not making it disastrous is sometimes the, the two ends of the spectrum of a TV series because it, there's a lot of unknowns until the last moment. This is what I find is kind of the trickiest. There's a lot of things that we don't know and then we will know. And then only a few days later, we have to actually execute all of that. That's what's fun and scary about television, I find. That's cool. Yeah. Do you find yourself being a techie DP? Mm. Or are you more an emotional kind of DP? Do you light with feeling and look? I think I'm very much the uh, I'm the emotional DP. That's a good one. That's an emotional DP. No, I, I find that I'm not... Every DP has to be technical because... To a I certain mean, degree. We, we, we have to know the tools. I really strongly feel that we are a director of photography as an artist, just like a photographer is an artist, just like a director is an artist. We have to put that first. And I try to put that first and then see how this emotional response to a, a scene is executed technically. And usually people say, let's figure out this scene, let's do this, and then we'll light and do the technical stuff. But I almost take a little bit of offense to that because I think the moment we start to light, that's when we're really, really being creative and that's where we're really being artistic. Uh, the technicality of executing our vision as far as the look takes a lot of people. It's very technical to hang and adjust, to use all the tools. I think there are DPs who are they're more engineers than they're artists, and then there are some who are brilliant engineers and brilliant artists at the same time. And I think, for example, David Green is a, like a brilliant engineer and a brilliant artist, and that's rare to find. I think I'm more on the, on the spectrum of kind of that. I don't worry about the technical stuff as much. I do know it super well. Uh, I just don't start there. And I, I do think that every tool can be replaced with another tool if, if we had to do it. I follow one philosophy and then just channel everything toward there, but you can get there in different ways. Like, you know, I want my light to be as soft as possible, as close to people as possible. So that might mean in a wide shot that that's 30 feet. It might mean that it's two feet, but that's my philosophy. I'll bring the softest light, the closest mm -hmm. to these people I can. However I need to achieve that is not very important. What I need to achieve is important. Yeah. That's interesting because it's just like, it's it's nice that you start with the lighting mm -hmm. first because I can't seem to do that. I need to put a lens up first and then huh. I'll light to that. That being said, I know you're not a techie DB. For the people out there, give me a run of the toys that you're using on this stuff. Like, What is the package? On monkeys? We, we're using... Alexa Minis this year with Leica, something like uh, lenses, and we, we we were shooting on Cooks for the first two seasons, and then we season three we started shooting Leica. I quite like that. I'm a big fan of the Leica lenses, and our lighting package is kind of standard. Like you know, we use D18s, and we try to you know when when we come through the windows, we use D18s. They're usually diffused on the dum dum heavily, and then diffused at the windows and diffused in between and everywhere else it's uh it ends up being like a 150 it, it ends up being a pepper yeah and then we both david green and i are fans of side light and kind of that single source lighting 
And when you do something like that, I think you need to execute it very precisely because it can also end up looking fake. Applying a lot of neg, we, Dave does it even more than me, I think, but we try to really control that there's only one source hitting those faces and it can be very tough when people are moving around. Something I learned from Dave a long time ago and something that I like doing a lot more and more is moving light in the shot with the actors kind of orchestrating as actors move, as dollies move or steady camera, whatever, the lights move and they have basically have an additional set of marks for lights every time and the, our lighting technicians are always on board with that. It's not always easy because if the actors are moving and the camera's moving and the lights are moving, if you execute it well, you don't notice that the lights are moving. It's kind of magical. At the same time, sometimes the DPs will appreciate that, but sometimes I, I don't know where the line is myself because sometimes we do that and it's so cool. You look at it on set and it looks like the, the coolest thing ever because everything is moving, people are talking, walking, cameras going up and down, whatever. But then you think to yourself, are these actors okay with this three lights going around them? <laughs> then you consider that and then you look at your monitor, you go, yeah, they, I think, they, I hope they're fine. I like it. <laughs> but sometimes I, I've actually stopped, I, I've been told by a director once, that an actress was having trouble because the light was really spinning around her and like, you know, as she was spinning, etc. I relit because I thought if she's affected by that, that means her performance is affected. That means, you know, what are we doing? So I relit because the center of our universe are these actors who everything is focused toward them. And sometimes, you know, when you ask yourself, well, I'm doing all this, am I distracting or am I doing the right thing? If you think that you're doing all of that lighting or all those shots in order to to look the the appropriate way, not necessarily good, like they maybe want to look bad and in, in the sense of they're crying or their life is ending. If you're lighting and everything is appropriate, then, then you're helping their process and they're not necessarily aware of that at that moment. When everything comes together, they fit into that frame and that frame fits them and fits what the goal of the movie is, then that's magic because everything is working toward one goal and that's believing that at this moment is in this situation and that's real for the viewer. And then you have the emotional response to that and then you have a good scene in a good movie. It's just sometimes drawing the line, like sometimes I find myself doing a little too much without really considering that maybe there's a, a little bit less is necessary for, for all that to be achieved. I constantly try and to think about that line because there's so many things to consider on a film set and so many things to consider in that final product. The self-importance has to be regulated. When you work on a series, you, you consider that more because you don't have a lot of time. So how do you bring everything to bare bones and make it look great? It's a very tricky thing to do. So that you know, occupies a lot of my prep time. How do I do this? How do you do, do the look? But we don't spend too much time doing it or too much equipment doing it. To go back to the equipment, we also use a lot of LED technology. In the last two seasons, we've been using the sky panels a lot, which I find are a fascinating light because you can dial everything into it. You can dial different looks and then you can add chimeras and then diffuse them through big rags, etc. I think they're a brilliant light. We also have some lights that we've invented, which are like four by four LED soft lights that go everywhere with us. D David Green and I were joking that we don't know if we can light without them anymore. If you took those box four by four 
LED big soft lights away, I kind of forget what we did before them. <laughs> is it the same crew also? Or do you have your gaffer and does David have his gaffer for the show? Yeah, we, we do have alternating gaffers, but that doesn't mean that the same gaffer is with me all the time. We Bob McRae is our gaffer and agreed. We try to stay with our gaffer, but sometimes that switches because of the schedule, but they're both amazing. But the, most of the crew stays on main unit. So we have Christian Tren and the key grip stays with the main unit. So he's always with us. And our operators stay on the main unit all the time. So as we shoot our respective episodes, after whatever, eight or nine days, we go into the second unit mode for a couple of days or three days. We have two crews going most of the time on 12 Monkeys because mm-hmm. the second unit is constant. And our crew is essential to us obviously because they we just had a huge 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 remote location day and without if they didn't execute what we planned to perfection we would not get half the day that we got so we depend on on our crew more than we think sometimes because you can draw diagrams and and can do all of that but if it's not executed and then if the rigging gaffer and the rigging grip don't think for themselves as well because they know the show, they know the DP. If they don't kind of help you out by saying, oh, I know what he wants to get, but in his diagram, I can't actually put the light there. There's a beam that he didn't see. And if they decided just to execute, you know, technicians who don't want to think about anything, if they did that, we would fail more times than we would succeed. And that's why I'm so grateful because these people, they know their job so well that they will help you out sometimes I don't even know they helped me out. You know, I, I have to look for it and then find them and thank the rigging gaffer for actually putting three of those lights. I asked for one, and that one can't even see the set because there is a thing in front of it that I didn't see in my drawings because I, I didn't have a chance to look there. So the crew saves us. The crew, the, the camera crew, I mean, with the speed that we work at, the focus pullers, I mean, I don't know. Ron Mountjoy, for example, is a guy who just does everything effortlessly and is on top of everything, And but we put him through hell. Sometimes I think about it, it's like rehearsals are becoming obsolete, you know, because we have so much to do, and everything is sharp and everything is great. The operators who are there all the time on that main unit, and then they have to read the script during their lunch hour because when will they read the next script, you know, and they need to know the story and follow and, and help you out while you're losing your mind trying to light the next set. Cruise Essential, I think, on television actually made that even more important. The importance of a good, solid crew, because they also are the carriers of the torch through every episode. They're ever-present. Like, if, if you have an alternating DP, I do every other episode, but the crew is there for every episode. So mm-hmm. they become even more essential than the DP, in a way, you know? Yeah, well. Was there something that you coming up in the industry broke or forgot or what was like the most embarrassing thing that you did coming up and now in retrospect you're like eh, this doesn't even matter in the in the long run of course i do um <laughs> i remember we we're doing this movie and it was a horror movie and we were shooting in uh in this old wooden cabin in a forest and i i was really kind of excited about the cabin and you know how we're gonna light that night to try and we didn't have a lot of tools and stuff i was really excited about using dinos as my light sources and not correcting them for day and all this you know like stuff that you read and you go okay i can apply that here i can apply that there but 
when you're young and you're learning, you sometimes apply too many things that you hear about or read about, etc. into one. Maybe you needed to select only a couple of things, but I put 12 of them in this, you know, idea. So I remember doing a night in that cabin and it was, the theory was that the hard moonlight comes in through these windows, but there was a lot of breakup on those windows. So the shafts of light came in of moonlight through the smoke. And I was very excited about that. That's what I wanted. Except that the moonlight was on every side of the cabin at the same time. So there was these shafts of light crossing each other from each window. And with one source, that didn't make sense. But I stood back, not for a second considering, because it was so impressive looking to me. And everybody around me was kind of like, a lot of my crew who was ex more experienced than me said, how many moons are there? I completely ignored that. I didn't even at the time, because I guess I was, I was thinking about so many other things, and I liked what I saw. I didn't even think about that. And to this day, my crew, who's still, like some of that crew is still with me, they've taken pictures of that. And every time we start lighting something with moonlight, somebody will bring up their iPhone and go, why don't we do it like this, Boris? And there is, it's ridiculous. There's 10 moons going through the windows in these like shafts of light everywhere. So that's one of those things that I get made fun of. But I think that's, it's important to do too, right? To put 12 ideas instead of just one or two and make that kind of mistake. Hopefully it's not big enough that they have to take it out of the movie, which was not the case here. But I think the young DPs need to make mistakes and not be afraid of making mistakes. That sounds like a cliche, but you really do need to just feel, if you feel that you need to do something, then you should probably do it. And if it's wrong, you still felt something that you will know how to execute later then because you just learned that that's not the way. But you will learn how to do it soon. doesn't matter. I mean, that goes for very experienced DPs or directors or writers. or like Everybody should constantly take a risk because here, here's a thing that I, I struggle with. How, how much do we need to change as DPs? How much, how much of us do we carry to each project and how much do we eliminate? Of, call it a style because there's a certain look you would say that a film that, you know, something that's sci-fi should have a certain look and then a drama should have another look and fine but I do believe that if you do something that's very different like a, like a sci-fi movie and a drama that there should be an element of you that is constant in both even though obviously the looks are different but there needs to be an obvious style that comes with you because that's what makes you unique. That's what makes a writer unique. Writers will write 10 different books. You will recognize their style in every single one, but one can be about two people in a cabin and the other one can be about a spaceship, but it, you, you recognize their style and their philosophy and their aims. I think that the DP, the director, anybody, that we should have that. You should look for what it is that excites you the most. And it can be as simple as, soft light as close to the actors as possible that's it that's enough that's your goal and then you can break it down that makes for this and that you can have your single source and whatever the sensibility you know obviously somebody as i'm saying this would say oh, that's ridiculous and that's fine there can be making the most dynamic you know developing shot regardless of where the light is that's it that's fine do that but I think we all need to look for what we really like and apply that. Aim for that 
result and get there somehow. And then you'll have your style because you'll just apply it to different stories and your look will be different, but there will be a lot of you, a lot of your style in that. That's, that becomes increasingly important to me. I don't know why. <laughs> Brother, thank you so much for your time mm. and sharing your wisdom. I really appreciate it, man. I really wisdom. do. Mm. Uh, <laughs> totally. Thank you so much, Boris. Hey, thank you. Thank you. This is cool. <laughs>